Today we're in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. The cross, the blood of Christ, brings us together as one. We just covered the most important verses, I think, in the Bible. In Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 10, For by grace you've been saved through faith, it's not of yourself, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his. I just need to stop there. It says we are his work of art, his workmanship, the poema. But we are his. Boy, that, that, that's really all we need to know and all we need to remember, especially when we're struggling and discouraged, just to remember we are his. He's got us. Our kids, <laughs> they are our kids, aren't they? And we love them, even at their worst moment, even in their darkest valley. They can know the love of a parent. Well, God's love is not like any human's love. We can take the most loving human being that's ever existed on earth. And God's love is higher than that love, as high as the heavens are above the earth. Jesus said, who all come unto me, I got him in my hand. And of them I lose none. All who come unto me are also in my Father's hand. The hand on top of the hands. <laughs> or as parents... On a busy city block, crossing the street, you grab the kid on one hand and you grab him on the other hand because you know how kids can wiggle right out, don't you? And if they wiggle out of mom's hand, dad's got them. And we wiggle a lot, don't we? We want to run out and grab the penny in the middle of the street while the traffic's coming. But God's got a hold of us. And we're not just created in Christ Jesus for blah, for something average, we've been created the work of art. The Mona Lisa. My son got to go to France and see it. It's really small, little picture. You gotta stand a distance away. And he wondered why it is such an amazing work of art. Now, of course, they can tell you why. But it's the most expensive painting in the world. There, there's no price tag that can put, be put on it. But yet, if I ever get a chance to go to France, believe me, I'll be going to look at the Mona Lisa. I'm not sure why, <laughs> but I'm going to go see it. I, I do love the Mona Lisa. I actually have a plate uh, I got from uh, somewhere in Europe I brought home that has Mona Lisa. But we are a work of art far superior to anything that's ever been done by the hand of man. And we've been created in Christ Jesus. We are in him as well as he is in us in a perfect unity. How far in are we in him? How far in is he in us? In John 17, he says, Father, as I am in you and you are in me, 
that they would be in us and we in them in a perfect unity. I can't theologically explain that. But you can have no better in an experience with God than that. I don't pray for those here, these 12 apostles with me, but I pray for all those also throughout history who will believe through their word. Jesus, while on earth, prayed for us. What did he pray for? Me to get rich, I hope. So I just bought a lottery ticket and I'm really hoping this is the one. No, what did he pray? That we would get it. That we would sense it. That we would feel the hope, the encouragement, the strength that comes from God being in us. And he will never leave us nor what? Forsake us. Do you believe that? Boy, I hope you believe that. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the coronavirus. Or, <laughs> I, I don't, this might be the end of the age. I don't know. But he'd be with us to the very end of the age. Human history will end, and we will still be in him and he in us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And what has he done this great work of art for? Good works. Not just spiritual works. You know, you see the Buddhist in Nepal. And they stay on that hill and they turn the spinner. They bong, bong, bong. They chant the chants. And people go up there and they give them money and they get their orange suits and they shave their heads and, and, and you say, what good does this do? Watch. Boom. Can't you see? I'm creating the spiritual peace. Understand it's a peaceful place. If you ever get to know Paul, I'll go see that too. I don't know why, but I'll go see it. <laughs> he, he didn't make us so we'll go to church on Sundays and then live without thoughts of him throughout the week. He made us for earthly good. That we would be a benefit to our fellow man. Walter Martin, when he used to debate atheists, he used to ask them, well, which hospital did the atheist build? The Red Cross was started by Christians. Red Cross. Which organization for humanity did the atheists start? Which universities did the atheists start? They took them all over, but which one of them did they start? You, you'll find that atheism has no human good. But yet, the entire earth is blessed from Christian organizations, even though some of them try to wipe away the Christian out of the YMCA, Young Men's Christian Association. You know, if it wasn't for the song, they'd probably just call it the YMA. But the song YMCA is too strong. Can't get rid of the C, but they ignore it. 
We have been made for good works, and we find out that God prepared them beforehand. He has a predestined plan for all who will believe in him that they should, doesn't say they will, but they should walk in them. It's a day-by-day thing. If I walked in the Spirit yesterday and fulfilled all of the good works God had, and I laid my head on the pillow at night and I sensed, well done, good and faithful servant, it means nothing for tomorrow. Tomorrow I must once again realize that my will is 100% intact. And even though I lived godly yesterday, I can live for the flesh in an abominable way, in a completely contradictive way, in a completely hypocritical way than I did the day before. We are equal to God in this one way, our will. So once again, we've got to deny ourselves. Jesus, you came in this world not to be served, but to serve. So today, Lord, I come to serve. I know you have predestined good works for me to serve. You have words for me to speak, people for me to touch, things to be done. I want to take up that cross now, crucify myself, not my will, thy will be done. Not to put my interests first, but the interests of others first. Help me, Lord, to crucify my flesh with all its passions and desires. And let me live for thy will. Every day. Every day we've got to come back to that place because I I wish being born again meant all the old things are passed away and God erases our ability to choose anything but his good will. I'm all for it. I vote for that. Let's all vote and, and tell God to change his nature. Once we get born again, we can only do your perfect will. Boy, I'd love that. But yet I find that in me is a will of my flesh, of the spirit of this world, and the devil and the demons are working hard to make me a hypocrite, to make me fleshly. And I find myself in a battle to do those good works. Some verses on this, Titus 3.8 This is a faithful saying that these things I want to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Let me just ask, does anybody not have notes? Did you guys sneak in without getting notes? Raise your hand. We have several right here. Dennis, we'll run them over to you. You guys have notes? Everybody's got notes? Everybody got notes? And over here. Again, everybody who's going to give a $10,000 uh, oh, go ahead. Right here. Okay. Be careful to maintain good works. This is good and profitable to men. And Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. Amen. And purify for himself his own special people. What are these special people? Zealous for good works. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, for the love of Christ compels me because we judge thus, if one died for all, then all died, or we should also die to ourselves as Christ did. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Boy, that, that 
is such a foreign concept in our world today. Unfortunately, the playboy philosophy is the main philosophy. Whatever feels good, do it. Whatever fulfills me, screw everybody else. Whatever fulfills me, that's what I'm going to do. What feels best to me, what causes me to be happy, what causes me to be, feel content. But no, that's not the mindset of Christ. We should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. And Jesus says, if you love me, show it by loving one another. And John, first John, he says, he who says he loves God, but doesn't love his fellow man, he doesn't love God. You can tell those who love God by the love they have for one another. Well, in Ephesians 2.11 now, therefore remember, you once were Gentiles in the flesh, who called on circumcision by what was called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. So the Ephesian Christians have forgotten where they came from. You guys were once a very fleshly group of people. Maybe they've been Christians for a decade now. And all they can remember is following Christ. The kids have grown up only knowing the ways of Christ. Well, what a wonderful, wonderful legacy to give our children. But he says it wasn't always like this. We were in the flesh. You were worshiping all the pagan gods. And Ephesus was one of the seven wonders of the world, the great temple to Diana. But beyond that, they had 75 other gods. Remember in Acts 17, Paul comes and, and they just, there at the Mars Hill, they had every possible statue to every possible God known, thousands. And then he walked by and I said to the unknown God, in case they left one out. And they were just believing that, hey, we're not leaving. We, we believe in all gods. Whoever God is, we believe in you. And Paul comes and says, that's vain, that's empty. But I want to talk to you about this one God that you don't know about. Oh, Jesus, the Christian God. Oh, yeah, no, we, we know about that. You see, that's our country today. Do you know about God? Oh, yeah, I, I'm Catholic. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm Presbyterian. Oh, oh yeah, I'm, I, man, got a big giant Bible at home on my coffee table. I'm in. What do you know about God? Well, I, you know, I, I can't remember what the last Christmas and Easter service was, but next Christmas I'll try to remember when I go to church and tell you about it. They're without God. Even with the big Bible on their coffee table, they're without God. Even going to the Christmas and Easter services, they're without God. They've forgotten who Jesus is and all the benefits that are in Christ. You guys were once living after the flesh and you were completely before the cross of Christ it was only in Judaism that somebody could know the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob just remember that last two weeks ago I think it was in Ephesians 2 2 through 5 listen again in which you once walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom we also once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, were by nature children of wrath, just as others. But God, there's the first but God. We're going to look at the second but God today. 
who is rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Here's the most wonderful statement in the Bible. By grace, you've been saved. We were disobedient. We were in darkness. We were following the plans of the devil unknowingly. And we were dead in our sins. We weren't guilty over them. We weren't convicted by them. We often boasted in them. And we, we mocked the Christians that went to church rather than sleeping in on Sunday morning. We, we mocked the little old ladies with their grandkids that went to the prayer meeting. We thought, what a bunch of losers wasting their time at church. But we who are called the uncircumcision by which is called the circumcision, we were aliens, strangers, having no hope without God in this world. We had no access to God. Only the Jews did. The true and living God, only the Jews did. Stott, quoting Hendrickson, said this, Before coming to Jesus, Gentiles were Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, and godless. In Ephesians 2.12 that at the time when you were without Christ, being aliens from the wealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. Boy, how true that is. Without Christ. I remember in college, I couldn't remember what it was like to be without Christ. At 15, in a U-Haul truck coming from Texas and Arkansas to California. My parents just divorced. I was so full of bitterness and anger and hate. I was just, just turned 15 and I was so dark. And I just remember somewhere between the desert of Texas and Arizona. I just lay there looking out and cried out to God going, I'm going to self-destruct if you don't help me. And there I was born again, or at least I came back to the Lord. The time I got to California, my heart was so surrendered to God in those few hours. But the time I was 20 in college, I, I can remember being at a Christian college and going into the prayer chapel and saying, God, I... I cannot remember what it's like to be without you. And it's hard for me to share the Lord with those who don't know you. And I sort of remember that sort of being a passing prayer. Well, the next couple of weeks, I, I would pray, but I would get nowhere. I'd read the Bible, and it was like I couldn't understand a word of what was happening. I'd cry out to God for strength and comfort and help, and I got nothing and I just thought in my theology at that time I had lost my salvation, which I, had did, I did daily in my theology at that time. But I, you know, came back and said, God, please forgive me and, and come into my life again. And, 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 and this went on for a few weeks until I was so desperate. My prayers were bouncing off the ceiling. Couldn't understand the Bible. My spirit... My heart was not moved by anything spiritual. I had no spiritual desire to pray or go to church or read the Bible or live for Christ. 
And I, I was just desperate. And God then reminded me of that prayer I prayed. And I'm like, I'll never forget this, Lord. <laughs> Aliens from God. Without the presence of God, without the power of God, without the access of prayer, without the strength of the scripture, without his friendship and his hope and his fellowship, without God, without hope in this world, how miserable of a place that is. So when I see somebody at 7-Eleven or I see somebody as I'm walking around the neighborhood this is the verse that I remember. Oh, they look like they're happy. They're smiling. They're, they're doing great. I'm doing great. Hey, neighbor. Hey, neighbor. I had a friend like that in high school. He was a good man. He came from a very good family. Not me. I came from a very broken home, a very messed up home. But I had become a Christian. But I thought, how can I share the Lord with my good friend, Don? He's so good. I'm the Christian, and I'm the one always getting in trouble and doing stupid things and saying stupid things and, and being carnal and fleshly, and he's so kind and nice, and so is his whole family. And, and it went on for a few years. He was my best friend. And one day, he got a car, and he had driven me home, and he said, can I come in and talk to you for a minute? And, and I said, sure, Don. And he, he came in, and he just started weeping. He said, you know, you know about my, me and my family, don't you? My dad's an alcoholic. We're so messed up. We're so lost. And, and you have Christ, and I, I know you don't even think that Christ can help me. I'm like, what, what are you saying? Well, I've been your friend for three years, and you never invited me to church. You never tried to share the Lord with me. I've seen you talking to other people about the Lord. And you're such a good person, and your, your, your family's such good people, and he's saying that to me. And I'm going, dude, it's, it's the opposite. I thought, how could I be such a weak, feeble, horrible example of a Christian, share the Lord with you? I know you didn't know Christ, but you're twice as good as I am. And he goes, oh, that's so far from the truth. He was in darkness. He was without hope. He was hurting, and... And I pulled out a four spiritual law, and I, one I'd given out often and read to people often. And I said, let's read this together. And we read that together, and he was weeping. We came to the end of that track. Now he gave his life to the Lord and he prayed that prayer and he left so elated. When's church? <laughs> he never missed a church service. He read the Bible. He had nonstop questions. And, and I just remembered, <laughs> without God, I don't care how good your life is, how rich your life is. When I heard Robin Williams, the most loved Actor, rich, famous, house in Malibu on the beach. When I heard that he killed himself, I thought, Lord, 
I wish I had bumped into him. Lord, how I wish that a Christian had talked to him. The best of the best of the best of this world doesn't give you hope. And often the richer you are in your gated community, the more desperate and isolated and depressed you are. We need to put this into our hearts. And let me tell you something. People are saying, hey, Brian, do, do more on the last days, on the end times. I'm like, just, just listen to the news for 10 minutes. There's really nothing more I can say. We are in the last times. The rapture of the church is at any time. I, I would not count on thinking we have another 10 years to live or I'm going to die of old age. I believe the Lord's return is there. I don't know how long we have. Also, it says in the last days that men's hearts are going to get harder. Their ears are only going to listen to falsehood, not truth. They want their ears tickled with teachers that agree with their fleshly, sinful, disobedient life. They don't want to listen to the truth about God. So the window is closing. Even if the rapture doesn't come for three years, the window of us getting and reaching men's hearts is closing. So don't say tomorrow will be a better day to share the Lord with my neighbor. Tomorrow will be a better day to hand the track out to that guy at 7-Eleven or wherever you go. Today is the day. Without Christ, what's it mean? Without spiritual blessings, without light, without peace, without rest, without safety, without hope, without a prophet, priest, or king. Spurgeon said this, without Christ, if this is the description of some of you, we need not talk to you about fires of hell. Let this be enough to startle you, that you are in such desperate state as to be without Christ. Oh, what a terrible evil's lie clustering thick within these two words, without Christ. I don't need to talk to you about hell, Spurgeon says. You're already there. If you stop the noise, if you sit quietly and still, you will sense the great emptiness of your own soul. And also we're aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. The Jews were God's chosen people. They had God reaching out to them. God sending them patriarchs and judges and kings and prophets. They had the word of God. In Romans 3, 1 and 2, it says, What advantage then has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way. Chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. They had the written scripture as we have today, the Old Testament. In Romans 9, 4 and 5, they are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the services of God, the promises of whom are their fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all eternally blessed. God, amen. They had all these blessings all the way up until the Messiah came also from the lineage of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the tribe of Judah, the lineage of David. But no such thing did the Gentiles have. 
They had their false gods. They had lies. They had horrible, destructive, wicked religions. Having no hope in those hopeless religions. No promise to cling to. No results of living without hope. How precious is that hope? In Psalm 69, David says, Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. God will never leave us nor forsake us. We always can fall back on that. We can always open the scripture in despair. We can always call out into prayer, knowing that even if we've been sinning and struggling with our flesh, that God is still for us, never against us. Psalms 31, 24, be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart, all who hope in the Lord. Psalms 146, 5, happy is he who has God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. But without God in the world, the lack of the knowledge of the true God results in some form of idolatry. Man is still going to reach out and grab a hold of something. Our whole beings are made to, to lean upon God. Galatians 4.8, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not God's. Well, now in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. But now, the second time in this chapter, but now that history of your past is no longer true. In Christ Jesus, the Gentiles can know Jesus Christ and no longer be far off, but be brought near because Jesus came into human flesh and as a 100% man in flesh, 100% God in spirit, he was able to die upon the cross, shedding his blood and that Lamb of God could not just cover the sin of the world, but the Lamb of God could take away the sin of the world. And because he was God, he's eternal. And all things he does is not just for one man. Jesus, if he was only man, could be a substitute only for one man. You only have one life you can die for, right? But because he is God, he could die for all men. Pay the price of the penalty of all men. Be the substitute for all men of all times, even the past. You who once were afar off have been brought near. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. The far off were the Gentiles. The Jews were near, even though they weren't walking in obedience. They still understood the path. In Psalm 73, 28, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God. He will draw near to you. That knowledge was completely unknown to the Gentiles. How the opposite is also true. We have that sense of the great displeasure of God and we are unaccepted by him. We are rejected by him. Our sins are keeping us from believing in him and leaning on him and coming to him. If you ask most people, what do they think about Christianity? Well, you know, I feel pretty good about it until I go to church. <laughs> and then I feel like I'm getting beat over the head. Why aren't you doing this? And why aren't you doing that? And 
and, and, I, and I leave there going, he nailed it. I'm the most fleshly, sinful person, and, and I need to pray more and read the Bible more and give more. And man, I, I'm just walking out of here just understanding how sinful I am compared to a holy God. And man, did I need that? Did you? Did you need that? And that's the mindset of most people. I walk into a church, I feel condemned. I walk into the church and I felt pretty good and then I feel horribly guilty. Because all religions, and unfortunately most Christian churches, their focus is not on Jesus and his grace and his mercy and his love and his forgiveness. Their focus is on man reaching God with him being holy and him doing all the spiritual stuff, all the spiritual duties that we're to do. And you're not doing your spiritual duties enough. And then they're doing spiritual duties, man. Ah, I got to get to work, but I got to go to the church. I got to light a candle. I got to curtsy. I got to pray. I got to go to a confessional real quick. I just got a minute. Man, I did a lot of sinning last night. You were here last night at 7 o'clock. I know, but after here, 7 to, I went to sleep, man. I, I'll, I'll see you later. I got so many sins. That's all religions. It's man, 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 man. Pleasing God, getting accepted by God, proving himself worthy. That's all the religions of the world, all the pagan religions. And it's not the Christian religion. It's not what we learn in Christ. We learn in Christ all his benefits, all his blessings, and eventually the love of Christ. But that is very similar what it'll sound like if I'm preaching when it comes. So one day I don't wear a shirt with buttons because I thought, oh, well, we're inside and I needed to wear my shirt with buttons. Okay. But... um. It's not us. The focus is not on us. When we come to worship, it's get your eyes on Jesus. And whatever motivation, it's always the love of Christ. I mean, imagine if you had a child who was being told every day by his parents, he better get that bed made and get up on time and get to school, put the dishes away and set up right now, set up straight at the dinner table. And, 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 and he's just like, man, I, I've got, and then the parents say, you know what? You're getting close to six years old and that's the age I'm gonna kick you out if you don't get this right. <laughs> but on top of that, imagine if you were adopted. Imagine if you had a little adopted six-year-old boy and, and he's just thinking, man, I've got to really make this work. And, you know, how shameful would that be to be sent back to the orphanage? I can just see myself with my suitcase walking back in the orphanage. Hey, what are you doing back here? Yeah, it didn't work out. They, they asked me to come back here. So the kid is got perfect manners. He's helping do the dishes. Hey, mom, can I, you know, every day he comes home from school, he knocks on the door and they're, what, what are you doing? Can I come in? Hey, you, you live here. Don't knock on the door. But yet he keeps knocking on the door. Dad's sitting in on Saturday morning watching football and, and the little boy's sitting there with him. Hey, dad, can I rub your feet? No, no, I'm fine, I'm fine son. Can I get you some chips? No, I'll go get you some chips. You know, all the other kids are outside playing. 
Oh, I want to be here with you, Dad. But you know he's really trying so hard to please you. And this goes on for months. Parents are going to set him down and say, look, you, you, you've got, the doctor says you have an ulcer. <laughs> you, you're so worried about us disowning you. We brought you here to enjoy. We brought you here to, to be a part of the family. You are as much our child as any of our other kids. Can you believe me? We're never sending you away. But imagine if that kid never gets it. Year after year, those parents watch him in his turmoil, not believing his acceptance into the family. This is what religion does. It's telling you always that you need to prove yourself worthy by living in such and such a way. Yes, God wants us to live holy. Yes, God wants us to seek him in prayer. Yes, God wants us to be witnesses. God wants us to put him first in everything. But it's got to be out of a love of the heart, not out of a fear of a rejection. Two completely separate things. And it's a religion. It's two completely different gospels. But unfortunately, our sin keeps us away from God, just like the prodigal son. It wasn't that the father didn't want him. It's he didn't want the father. In Isaiah 59, in verse 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, nor his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Many people have all kinds of ideas to get near to God. It's the law. It's burning candles. It's religion of all different types. Going to church. All these things are going to bring me near to God. But the Bible tells us what brings us near to God is not what we do, but what Christ did. We are brought near by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ caused us, who, those who were far off, to be brought near to him. This means Jesus took our place and suffered as our substitute for us and brought us to God. Why? Because man could not atone for his own sins, no matter what he did. Psalms, 100, Psalms 49, 6-9 says, Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give God a ransom for him. For the redemption of the soul is costly, and it shall cease forever, that he should continue to live eternally and not see the pit. It's not by our wealth. It's not by our good works. It's by the work of Christ. The sacrifices of the Old Testament were only a type, a picture of the need because the Old Testament could only, the Old Testament sacrifice, the blood sacrifices could only cover sin. And then they would have to repeat those sacrifices. In Hebrews 10, 1 through 4, for the law having a shadow of the things to come, not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they have ceased to offer for the worshipers, once purified, would have no more conscience of sin. But those sacrifices, there is a, remainder, a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats would take away sin. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, 
and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, for the worshiper once purified would have no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices is a reminder of sins every year, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could, notice, take away sins. However, in Christ, we just learned in chapter 1, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of God's grace. I think of that verse in Hebrews 10, 14. He, Jesus, has perfected forever through the blood sacrifice, those he's now sanctifying. Colossians 1, 14, in, that is Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from aimless conduct received by the traditions of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Gentiles who are not in Christ are just as far off. They are reconciled only happens when they're in Christ. It's important that we connect the ideas of great love of Jesus and his sacrificial death. Often people say, oh, the blood of Christ, how gory. I don't want to tell anybody about blood. No. When you understand the gospel, it's not about the blood being gory. It's about the blood being shared because God loves you. The cross, it's offensive to the natural mind. It's offensive to the Jewish, the religious person. But the cross speaks of God's great love. Our sins were horrible and great. This is why we see such a torture in Christ. This is why we see such a horrific death on the cross. Because our sins, well, as we compare our sins to one another, they're not so bad. But if we were to stand in the holy God to be perfect as he is perfect, the wages of our sin is eternal separation from God. And he tells us that we will go there with the devil and the angels in hell. That's a fact. We're not just leading people to Christ, but we're saving them from eternal damnation. We're saving them from the immediate despair of without God in this world. But we also understand that every man's to die once and after that judgment. And unless the blood of Christ has been accepted as the payment by faith in Christ... There is no hope for eternal life either. Well, in verse 14, and he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. We're going to talk more about it next week. But the Jew and the Gentile make up the one church, the one bride of Christ. We're going to talk about that in Ephesians 5. But I love in Romans 10, verse 11 through 13, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. And the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon his name. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Boy, you just have a sense in God's heart that list could go on that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you remember that? Do you remember being in darkness? 
Do you remember somebody stepping out of their comfort zone? Their palms were sweating and their hearts were beating and they were ready for the scar of rejection from you. But yet they ventured out and they talked about your private world. Most people say, hey, that's God's stuff. That's, that's between me and him. Get out. But God's commanded us to open the curtain and go into that private world and to say, I have to tell you about Christ because he alone is the way unto the Father. But somebody spoke to you about that and brought you out of darkness and they had the joy of bringing you to the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy and now he is our peace. To cause us to live with God in peace, but the power to live with one another in peace. You, you realize that's Satan's plan. His, his repeated plan is divide and conquer. First, I got to get them fighting with each other, and then I can come in and bring devastation. That's always it, whether it's in the family, whether it's in the church, whether it's in a community, whether it's in a country, always. Years ago, I was in Yugoslavia, which no longer exists, it's Serbia now, and there was a war going on. The Serbs were trying to kill the Albanians and the Croatians. and They've been doing it for thousands of years. It was nothing new. But I remember we were there, and it was a time of war, and the coal had run out, so the houses and the buildings couldn't get heated, and we were freezing. We were inside. It was colder outside. Many, it was actually colder inside. There was snow outside, but it was still cold. But we just sat there for hours and hours because there was nothing to do because there was a war on. But I began to talk about all kinds of things. When you have hours to talk with people, it's amazing. But I found the Serbs were saying horrible things about the Hungarians and the gypsies in particular, but other nationalities. And then they began to say, oh, they smell funny. They eat weird foods. They, 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 things that racially amongst the whites and the blacks in America are said and, and these were white people talking about white people. And, and I said to one of the guys, well, tell me who's Hungarian? Who's, who's the Jew here? Who's the, you know, the, the gypsies you could tell. They, they, they did have a olive skin darker than most. But the people they pointed out were not Hungarians. They were actually Serbians. The people they thought were Jews weren't Jews. And yet they had been for years growing up in school. They're now in high school college age, they had had a prejudice against these other white people and they weren't even correct about who they were. <laughs> and you, you realize, yeah, the skin stuff, that's, that's easy pickings. Somebody's darker than somebody else, that's easy to tell. But it's the same game. It's the same game as division. But in Christ, we are to have his Holy Spirit in us, and that's to cause a unity in one another. But Satan wants to tell every marriage. Satan wants to tell every kid and every family. We see this division going on to say, you are making me angry 
and to split. And now, of course, in our country, we are seeing the end results of not following God. We were a country that once were unified, but in that time, we were very much a Christian country. 1963, the atheist, Madame Marie O'Hare, who ended up being killed and put into a ditch and Later in life, her, they were stealing stuff and they ended up getting murdered. It was a horrible end to her life. But she got prayer out of school. And then they started this whole thing about separation of church and state, which is not in the Constitution, by the way. It does not say separation of church and state. It simply says one religion cannot run the country. And we all agree with that, right? That's not, not the issue. But yet we see today now them saying that even if you wear a, a, a shirt to church or a shirt to school that has a cross on it, they're going to ask you to turn it inside out or go home. It's now Christ has no place in the public arena. And if you do, it's illegal. So we've kicked Christ out of school. We've kicked the knowledge of Christ out of the school. And we're seeing the consequences of living in a country that's no longer mindful of the Christian God. Well, in Christ, he's made both one, the Jew, the Gentile, and any other division, whether it's race, whether it's economic, whether it's geographical, Christ will break those barriers down in him. In Romans 2, 28 and 29, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and the circumcision that is of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, but praise is not from men, but from God. In Romans 5, 10, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Colossians 1, 20, and though he, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth, or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He himself, by himself, without anybody else in the equation, can bring us to peace with one another, where we see men throughout the world, not by their nationality, but as Martin Luther King Jr. said, by the content of their character, and that alone. But Satan is out to kill, still and destroy. Well, evidently in Ephesus, they were having this hard time with the division. Matter of fact, Paul's going to address it later on in Ephesians 4.3. He says, you guys endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. They were having these various divisions, one of them Jew, Gentile, probably other things as well. But Christ has broken down that middle wall of division. I like what David Guzik says here. The wall of separation is gone because the common lordship is greater than any previous division. You see, we're connected in Christ. We're connected into the body of Christ. We're connected to the church. The number one authority in my life is Christ. And that is my main allegiance. <laughs> he later says that our citizenship, the most important citizenship, is in heaven. If the lordship of Jesus Christ is not greater than any difference you have with others, be political, racial, economic, language, geography, and whatever, then you have not fully understood what it means to be under the lordship of Christ. Well, as we end here today, the question is, is Jesus your 
Prince of Peace. Is he our peace here in our fellowship? He gives us his peace. The real question is, do you have the peace of eternal life? The question is, is where will I go when I die? Boy, that's the ultimate peace. Well, let me say to you in John 14, 27, Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. Let your heart not be troubled. Let it not be afraid. In John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In John 6, 28 and 29, then he said to them, what shall we do that you may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said, this is the one singular work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. That's it. John 1, 12, but as many as receive him, Jesus, to them he gave right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him Number one, will never perish. Number two, have everlasting life. In John 3, 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. I know that most of the world, that's their impressions of Christianity. It's a condemning group of people. No, that's not the message. Christ never came to condemn, but that the world through him, through him, might be saved. One last verse, John 3, 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Didn't come to condemn, but yet he does speak the truth in love, and the truth is we must be born except the sacrifice of Jesus as our substitute for our sins. Lord, we come before you right now. If there's any hearing this message right now, maybe you're hearing this message five years after it was preached. Maybe you're listening online and you know Jesus is not the Lord of your life. You know you have not put your faith in him. Right now you can. Jesus, I believe you are my substitute. My sins are great. They're deep, they're horrible, but yet your cross was sufficient payment with all your torture, with all your agony. The cross was sufficient payment. So the wrath of God that was to fall on me fell on you. And now by your stripes, I am healed. I believe in you. I put my faith in you and in you alone, the one singular work to believe on the Son whom the God who loved us so much sent. What a wonderful message. God loves us. God loves the world. Jesus is a sufficient payment for everyone who will believe, Jew or Gentile. God's rich to all who will call upon his name. There's no special prayer. There's no special words. Put your faith in him. If you're a believer here and you're not experiencing that security, you're not experiencing that peace, come back to the cross. Come back to letting that love of Christ constrain you and to say, Lord, here I am. I know today you've made me for good works and, and unless I deny myself and take up the cross, I won't experience them. Unless I put everybody's interest before my own interest, 
I won't experience it unless I have the heart and the mind of Christ that not coming to be served, but to serve everyone else. Lord, I'm here. I want to live in obedience and fruitfulness, not 20-fold, not 60-fold, but 100-fold. In Jesus' precious name.